Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I'm John Schofield, your host. Bill Wagner of the Capitol Gazette and Baltimore Sun Newspapers is our co-host, and Chris Cervello, class of 99, is our producer. Great show today. We're going to talk to class of 96 graduate and current vice president of sales and marketing for AbbVie, just a $2 billion cosmetics company, Rob Hubert. Uh, we're also going to talk to Navy Gymnastics coach Kip Simons about some of the early season meets and everything else going on in the world of the Naval Academy physical mission. But first things first, here we go. New building coming to uh, the U.S. Naval Academy. Scott Strassmeyer sent a uh, press release yesterday talking about a proposed effort to raise $22 million to build a lacrosse facility right there adjacent to Glenn Warner. But here we are, Wags. We're on the cusp of inducting Sid Abernathy tonight into the Chesapeake chapter of the U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame. The rankings just came out uh, with Jackson Bonnets and Patrick Skolniak as preseason All-Patriot League. You've got Navy ranked number three in the Patriot League in the preseason rankings. We're going to talk to Joe Amplo next week, but wow, what a great thing uh, for this lacrosse program is they're about to kick off their season, a potential new building just for them over, you know, overdue. Well, I tell you, I, I, I had heard nothing about this. Uh, this was kept under wraps. Uh, maybe you had heard some minglings of it. I did not. So I saw that and I'm like, wow, holy moly. And I mean, if you watch the video that narrated by Pete Medhurst, it was impressive. It looks like it's going to be pretty freaking cool. I tried to reach out to athletic director Chet Gladchuck yesterday because I did have a few questions. I think the artist's rendering is a little misleading. I think it's going to be on the field to the left if you're going toward the Naval Academy Bridge. It's going to be built over there next door. I don't think it's being put in front of Glenn Warner. I don't think there's enough room there. So... I think the artist's renderings may be misleading, but I've got to talk to Chetty to figure out exactly where they're talking about. But there's open fields to the left heading again toward the Naval Academy Bridge where lacrosse practice is there sometimes when football's in season and using the other fields. And uh, I could see where they could fit a nice facility there, but it looks marvelous, John. And, you know, they talk about having a rooftop lounge area where guys would be able to eat and they're going to hold alumni receptions uh pretty amazing i mean if if they put a really nice turf field adjacent to that i would think you might want to have a game or two there and invite everybody over to the lacrosse center and you could watch the game from the roof of the lacrosse center how cool would that be yeah it would be pretty amazing now jeff johnson and and don hughes intimated a little bit of this to us off the record before uh when they came on the podcast, but the announcement this week is certainly amazing. And, and Chris, 
I was talking to a lot of people, um, you know, at the Naval Academy this past week who said, hey, I thought Slapshot said that this was when they built Hopper Hall, the last new construction down on the lower yard. And now we're building something that's basically right up against the seawall that we're talking about is in trouble in the next 20 years with sea level rise. Still, wherever it goes, and I do think it would go much, much better down there near the Hopper Hall and that huge like 450 hertz converter room building that they have to power Hopper Hall. I think it would be better down there. But if it's down by Glen Warner, you have kind of two buildings right next to each other. You're taking advantage of the parking there at the mid-store. A lot to consider, but as an alumnus of this institution, how, how do you like it? Well, John, I've, I've mentioned many times on the podcast that um, I think the real legacy of Chet Gladchuk and the team that he has around him at NAAA is not just the wins um, in big, you know, in big matches against Army or or other big name schools. I think more importantly, it's as you drive around the yard and look at all of the facility improvements that um, help the current midshipmen. They help future midshipmen, and they really do help. Um, you know, graduates like myself, I mean, you know, WAGS mentioned the dual use nature of, uh, uh, of the facility that, you know, not only will they be able to use it to house the lacrosse uh, team and to celebrate the legacy of a, of a great lacrosse program, but that there will be some dual use opportunities perhaps for alumni receptions and, you know, they'll be able to use it for recruiting. And, and it just says again to the, the Naval Academy community and, and really to the larger community that this is a serious institution and that we take take athletics and academics very serious. And you only need to just, you know, either run an outer or if you're old like me, get in your car and drive around and you see um, all of that coming to life. I absolutely agree, Chris. And and all of your talking points sound like you know the the man who was the anonymous donor behind the twenty two million dollars. Hats off to you, Provision Advisors is obviously doing well. But Wags, any scuttlebutt about that? How long this will take, and when we might see this building actually open to the public? Well, yeah, I think there's some key points there. Uh, there's an anonymous donor, and I guarantee it won't take long for people to start bandying about who that person is. I doubt they'll remain anonymous by the time this facility comes online. The date that they're talking about is 2026. Uh, one thing, it's going to be $22 million in total. I was curious how much has the anonymous donor put up because it better have been very significant. Like, well, I'm talking close to 10 million in order to earmark that as strictly for lacrosse because Normally, donors go into a kitty for all NAAA uh, efforts, and this this has been earmarked strictly for lacrosse. That's why it's going to be a Navy lacrosse center, which I'm sure was something that's been discussed. But one question I have is most universities, when they build a facility like this, it's for football. And if I'm Brian Newberry, the football coach, I'm going, wow, I'd like to have something like that for football. So it's kind of unique that this, you know, football is what carries the day that supports the entire athletics department. And yet lacrosse is getting this sparkling state of the art standalone facility overlooking the Severn and the football officers are still up on top floor of Ricketts hall. So that is a bit curious to me. I'll have to say. Hats off to Chuck Gladchuck and the staff for continuing to upgrade, as Chris said, making this 
a premier place to come and pursue your athletic career, uh, which by the way, ends with you having a guaranteed job and doing something in the, in the defense of our freedoms as a country. So, you know, pretty, pretty good sales pitch right there. So WAGS, the other big lacrosse story this week, um, you wrote a story right at the very beginning of the week, which shocked me. And I know has a lot of feedback. Um, you know, I remember back in the football season thinking once Xavier Arline replaced a very injured Ty Lavatai, that Xavier Arline was probably playing his last lacrosse game ever, um, or had played his last lacrosse game ever. Apparently the opposite is the case. Well, I'm as surprised as you are, John. Uh, I didn't think it was his last lacrosse game ever because his senior season, he'd be out of football eligibility. So it'd be no problem with him playing lacrosse as a senior. I never imagined him playing lacrosse this spring, particularly considering the circumstances. He was allowed to play last spring because Ty Lavatai was the clear-cut starter. And frankly, they wanted to get Xavier's head right because he did not finish football in a great place. And they thought by letting him play a sport he loves, having some success on the lacrosse field, it would be beneficial coming back to football. But most importantly, between Ty Lavatai and some of the younger quarterbacks they wanted to develop, they didn't really need him taking reps during spring practice. That is not the case this spring. In fact, this spring is absolutely crucial because you have a new offensive coordinator and a revamped offense, and they're going to be installing new concepts. So it's absolutely critical that Xavier Arline not miss a rep of spring football, and they are saying he won't. And this is where I start to wonder how this is going to work because spring football lasts for four weeks. He's not going to practice football and lacrosse on the same day. That's not happening. So clearly, he's going to be missing significant amount of lacrosse practice. I'm not sure how you fold him into a game plan for lacrosse if he's practicing twice a week or less. So it's all very interesting how and how this is going to work. I'm also concerned, and Xavier's a remarkable man, young man. I, I'm, I'm so impressed with him. I had a great conversation with him, by the way, when I did this article. But this is asking a lot. He's talking about going to football meetings every day, lacrosse meetings every day, lacrosse practice. After lacrosse practice, throwing football around with his receivers. I mean, well, let's not forget about the academic and military demands of the Naval Academy. This could be taking on quite a bit. I'm worried about the potential for breakdown physically, if not mentally, just trying to do so much. So I really hope all parties involved are very, very careful. And if it looks like this is stressing Xavier, they've got to back off a bit and Last thing I'll say, and Chris might want to weigh on this because I'm curious, well, from an outside perspective, from a, you know, what he thinks, because he's kind of takes the fan view, but there has been very few stories I have written that have received more feedback, good and bad. They've come down 50-50. Oh, this is great. Go Xavier. And then there's others saying, this isn't going to work. Uh, what are you doing? What are you thinking? So Chris, where are you on this? So the first thought I had when I saw your story was um, he's not going to be the starter next year um, that um, they had either made a decision to go with one of the younger guys or um, they felt really good about where Ty was. 
Now, I mean, there's, I have that, that's just instinct, right? So, I mean, um, you know, you asked for a fan perspective, that that's where my head was. Xavier is an impressive young man has shown his ability to balance the, uh, the commitments at the Naval Academy. I mean, can he make it work? Probably. I mean, I, I think both the lacrosse and football teams have shown that they're vested in him making it work, but is that really what we want? Um, and so my first question for Joe Amplo would be, you you know, what does this mean for his football career? And that would be my first question for, you know, when we get into spring ball is, you know, what should we read anything more into this? Now I expect the coaches to say no, because they don't want to give away their decision space, but it's hard as a fan not to sort of think that he's starting at the number two spot at best for next year's uh, fall team. Now I'm sure we'll hear from folks in sports information. You can't draw those conclusions this early, but how are you left with any other conclusion, you know, given that he's going to split his time? One other key element here, guys, is that Ty Lavatai will not be participating in spring practice because re- he's rehabbing from knee surgery. So that to me is even more reason why it's absolutely vital for Xavier to be out there leading the young players, getting those first team reps, so, uh, yeah, it, this is uh, not easy. And I'll tell you, there's another kid at Maryland named Dante Trader. I wrote about him for the Terrapin Times. He was recruited for football and lacrosse. In fact, he earned a lacrosse scholarship first. Then football decided, you know, we'll scholarship him. And, and he's never played lacrosse at all. He, he became a key player for the football team, a, a starter in the secondary. And his lacrosse career was over. So, Dante Trader's another kid who went to Maryland hoping to play two sports and football took over and told the cross, no, he's ours. Well, I'm, I'm sure that all the old grads from the Jimmy Lewis and Phil Henderson and Pat Donnelly era are like, ah, you know, come on. We all played two sports back then. And I walked five miles to class uphill in the snow. Um, he'll be able to deal with it. And maybe he will. Um, you know, Hey, for me, all I need from him is another two goal, two assist performance against Army. So we win the star. And after that, I'm pretty good. Speaking of teams who are about to play for the star, Navy Gymnastics is going to make a little trip up to Army on February 4th to compete for the star against Army. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk to Kip Simons about the season so far and what to expect from Army and beyond. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. Navy fans, don't forget to favorite Navy on the ESPN app. You can manage which Navy alerts you receive, including team news, game stats, and score alerts. And don't forget to watch the Navy Midshipmen play on ESPN+. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Kemp, how much we love having you on the podcast. Again, we've been called like, gymnastic sycophants and apologists on this podcast and i'm sorry that i'm not canadian sorry that we love gymnastics here i was out there this past weekend for the navy open ran into gymnastics alum jody williams my old office mate from cnav absolutely awesome environment there uh for the second straight meet um you finished third the first time up at the west point open third out of five times this time at the navy open third out of six teams. 
Um, walk us through, Kip. How has the season been so far? How's the team doing? And you've welcomed Isaiah Drake back. What kind of a difference did that make? Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. How about that environment there in Halsey on, on Saturday? Man, that place was rocking. It was it was awesome to see. We had the Ohio State in the house. We had Penn State in the house. Um, so, you know, overall, I was real pleased with our performance on Saturday. Um, you know, we seem to be taking care of our, our conference rivals. Uh, but we're still not there yet. Uh, we're still <clears throat> needing to, to search for some answers against the Penn States and the Ohio States. And that's, you know, that's kind of how we measure our program, uh, especially after last season coming off of our, our best finish in program history. So, yes, conference is certainly important, but, um, you know, we want to know what we need to stack up against those Big Ten teams. And, um, you know, overall, the last two weekends, we're, we're testing our depth charts, really. Um, we've got about a third of our routines coming from plebes out there. So a lot of, a lot of fresh uh, young plebes and, and really even youngsters and, and juniors that haven't seen the lineup in the past. So overall about half of our lineup is, is brand new. And so you use these first couple meets to really um, dial in and see who's, who's a gamer, who's going to show up for you on the weekends as we get ready to get on the bus next week to head up to army. Well, one of those newcomers uh, was part of the gymnastic sweep of the weekly ECAC honors, Isaiah Drake, uh, Rona McQuillan, and Plebe Matthew Petros from Broadview Heights, Ohio. They swept the slate of weekly honors from the conference. Uh, Drake was the ECAC gymnast of the week. McQuillan was the specialist of the week, and Petros was the rookie of the week. Talk to me a little bit about Isaiah. He's come back. He placed in the top 10 on all three of the apparatus that he performed on on Saturday. It was great seeing him there. And like you said, I kind of think that it fed the environment that was already there in Halsey. Like, these guys are so effing good. Um, you know, from, from alumni like Jody Williams to just like Annapolitans, who I was talking to rolling around there. What, what a great environment. How do you how do you feel about the team's evolution so far through the first two meets? Sweeping the conference, you know, awards for the week is, is certainly encouraging because you know you got a Ronan McQuillan out there who just does the pommel horse, and you know he's going to be ranked, you know, in the top ten on that event. Um, and and Ronan's doing an amazing job. Coach Mike's doing an amazing job with him over there. It's tough to just sit there and do the pommel horse for three hours every day of the week, but Ronan finds a way to get it done there. Um, Petro's coming, coming out of Ohio, a, a plea that's really shown up strong for us. So, you know, really pleased with Matthew's performance and then Drake, you know, there's, you know, what do you say about a guy like Isaiah Drake? I mean, he only comes across, you know, every, you know, every 10 years, uh, he's a thoroughbred, you know, he's a beast. Um, I think we're dealing a little bit. He's, he's, uh, on the U S national team. And so all of a sudden now you're juggling act of, of the demands, the expectations of, the U.S. national team, which took him, you know, a lot of training throughout the summer, um, the summer nationals there in August, and then, you know, the grind through the preseason. So we had a little bit of an ankle injury early on, but um, to have Isaiah out there on three events, the team feeds off of him. You know, they know that he's one of the natural leaders of this program, even, even as a sophomore. So, you know, the more Isaiah gets out there and gets from three events to four to five to six events, the better off we're going to be as a program. Well, I was looking at Ronan's finish. I mean, a third place in that field against that caliber of competition is pretty impressive. Uh, where you know, is, you feel like he's really stepped up uh, as a junior? Yeah, absolutely. Ronan, he's uh, like I said to sit there. I think Palm Horse is is a god awful event. It's a it's like the balance beam of uh, of men's gymnastics. But you know, there he is, day in and day out, and again working 
you know, just hand in hand with Coach Reed um, and, and Coach Reed also, you know, won a national championship on that event. So, you know, why wouldn't you, if you're an athlete, why wouldn't you just throw everything at coach and just hang on every word that he has to say, because he's been there. He knows how to win a national championship on that event. Um, that's what my coach Mike did there at OU. So Ronan's really, you know, come into his own there. And, and I do expect him to push for an all American. Um, it's been, you know, probably over 25 years since we've had an all American here in the program. And, um, you know, to have, Ronan step up and get that job done. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Another junior who caught my eye, and I, I did not realize that we had a local kid from Arundel High School in Odenton, Maryland, Ian Dinmore, on the team. I, I hadn't caught that. I don't know what he did last year, but, you know, he had a nice result on the floor exercise. Is that a kid that I should do a little feature on, local kid? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ian, I mean, I could talk for hours about Ian. What a great young man. I mean, here he is, 4-0 chemistry major, number one in his class, just finished the MCAT last week. I mean, an eight-hour test and then comes in and does routines. You know, this was last Thursday. Uh, the test goes from seven in the morning till, you know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon, comes in and says, coach, you know, let's go. Um, and you didn't, you didn't see much of him last year because he wasn't out there last year. You know, here's a kid that just works and works and works. Didn't see the lineup his freshman year. Didn't see the lineup his sophomore year. Never quit. Never gave up. Trained as hard as I've ever seen someone train throughout the summer. And here he is having a huge impact on the floor exercise and the palm wars. The, the only two events that he does. But he's a key player and absolutely, you know, in the lineup because of his determination and his never, you know, never quit attitude. But, you know, getting it done in the classroom, getting it done in the gym, and, you know, just put in for a leadership role that he wants to be the top dog, um, you know, over the summer and, and uh, leading throughout Plebe summer here coming up this uh, this summer. So he's he's something special, that kid. Well, I'll say uh, I can tell the listeners right now, look for an article in the Capitol. That's a great article. You just laid it out. Guaranteed. Jump on that right away. And, John, I'm going to do this for you because John loved to say Giovanni. I, you go ahead, John. Giovanni Gamba. How? Say it. Well, so the the PR guy or the PA announcer on Saturday just said Giovanni Jambates. And I was like, no, BS. It's Giovanni Jambates. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you actually pronounce it, but it, he, he seems to be filling the role of captain quite well. Well, we Absolutely. got another one for John, a freshman from Marietta, Georgia, Danilo Viciano. Is he a good one, coach? Young plebe? Absolutely. Yeah. Danilo, Danilo's getting it done. Yeah. Danilo, he's a guy that, um, you know, he's out there on, on five events, uh, which is uh, pretty unheard of for, for a plebe, but um, yeah, Danilo is, is growing into his own. He's uh, he's a great story as well. You know, one of our, our top three recruits that we brought in last year, but um, you know, that plebe year is tough and um, Danilo is finding a way again to get it done in the classroom, but also, you know, he's making the lineup and making the lineup as a plebe is, is not easy, but uh, he's out there on three or four events and, and, you know, you can count on him. And that's what you, that's what you want as a coach. When that hand goes up, he finds a way he ain't quitting. I can tell you that. Um, and, and he's, uh, he expects some great things out of Danilo over the next three or four years. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want one more chance to see Navy gymnastics and be a part of the amazing atmosphere that exists in Halsey, come on out on Saturday, 2 PM, William and Mary makes the trip right back up 95 uh, to compete again, because I think Kip, they were, they were in the uh, meet this past weekend, right? That's correct. Yep. 
Yep. And, uh, you know, always, always good opportunity to go against the conference rival, but, you know, let's, let's uh, set the record straight. This is all about getting ready for army. Uh, we're going to put the finishing touches uh, this weekend on our lineup so that uh, we can get on the bus and go up and get the job done uh, the following weekend. We love singing second against army and going up there and kicking their ass. Um, which I'm quite sure is going to happen. But please come on out on Saturday, ladies and gentlemen, January 28th, 2 p.m. at Halsey to watch the gymnasts take on William and Mary, get prepped up for that ass kicking up at West Point. Kip, as always, we appreciate you for being on. We appreciate what you do for these student athletes and as a coach and as a mentor. And we can't wait to keep talking about gymnastics on this podcast. Perfect. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Kip Simons, a little bit of a two-sport athlete himself. I mean, he was recruited for lacrosse as well, but chose gymnastics. Um, but, you know, doing pretty well as a side hustle now as the head coach here at Navy. We're going to go to break. This is Sing Second Sport. All right, Sing Second fans, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Navy Wrestling returns home this weekend for a pair of duels on the yard. Saturday, the Mids will play host to Hofstra with a 1 p.m. matchup in Dahlgren Hall. How cool is that? And the good news is admission to that Saturday match in Dahlgren is free. Then on Sunday, it's Senior Day. The Mids will be taking on Binghamton at 2 p.m. in Alumni Hall for the last home duel of the season. For tickets to Sunday's match, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And the Navy women's basketball team returns to Alumni Hall next Saturday, February 4th, to take on Holy Cross at 12.30 p.m. Be sure to get out there early as we will be honoring our senior class prior to the start of the game. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the Sing Second Sports Podcast. We are really happy to be joined by Rod Hubert, class of 96, as we continue to prepare you for February 2nd's much ballyhooed ship selection night, something that's near and dear uh, to my heart and to Rod Hubert's heart. A little bit of background here as I reintroduce Rod Hubert to the podcast crew, uh, 96 grad. Um, was my office mate for a very short period of time. Actually, the office right next door as we worked at the Seamanship and Navigation Department uh, helped you know, all of us deal with our, uh, with our boss at the time, affectionately known as Chili Calves to many of the, uh, many of the lieutenants in Seamanship and Navigation, Lieutenant Lieutenant Commander Pethabridge of the Royal Navy, uh, who's all the way up to the knees, socks and shorts always gave us a laugh. But much more important, Hubert, we have graduated from, you know, being lieutenants who helped midshipmen pick ships to now consuming curdled Baileys and doing car bombs at uh, Army-Navy games, which is quite the graduation. But, but bring me back to ship selection night and introduce the podcast guests or the podcast audience to... How ship selection kind of changed when you took over the Surface Warfare Officer Information Program, Red Smith calls you in and trusts you, a young lieutenant, just off of USS Tortuga with reshaping ship selection and making SWO cool again. And out of that, with the help of Keelan Regan, we got SWO doesn't suck, you suck. Walk us through how that evolved and why that became what I think was a really successful evolution. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on this morning, Schofield. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And 
And truthfully, you know, I, I will give credit where credit's due. And ultimately the partnership with you is where we were able to make that transformation with surface warfare. And I think it's important to give a little bit of background. You know, I think prior Prior to us taking over the SWO CIP program, Career Information Program, there was this perception that if you weren't a pilot, if you couldn't be a Marine, if you couldn't be a Navy SEAL, if you couldn't be a bubblehead, then uh, you had to go surface warfare. Am, am I right there? Yeah, it was the least common denominator, and it felt like it was the land of misfit toys, right? Like, eh, my eyes sucked, I can't fly, so I have to go slow. Or, hey, I didn't get my first eight choices, so I have to go slow. A huge part of what you and the rest of the lieutenants did, and our messaging, you know, as a PR guy now, I thought our messaging was really effective, is that we said going slow opened up so many doors for you that you could get your surface warfare officer qualification pin much earlier and transfer to JAG and transfer to public affairs or do the Chris Hoffman and transfer to Intel, which I mean, I guess is really the new least common denominator. But I mean, how much do you think that messaging kind of helped sway people to thinking that SWO didn't suck? Well, I think largely it was because we shared our stories, right? And how we selected, and I remember my service selection at the Naval Academy, and it was largely, oh man, I didn't qualify for pilot because my eyes were bad. You know, I NPQ'd for special warfare and I just wasn't cut out for the Marines. So, okay, I'll go slow. And service selecting USS Tortuga out of Little Creek, Virginia was the single best thing I did, not just for my naval career, honestly, but also as I reflect back. 26 years ago uh, for my professional career as well, right? And I think the stories we shared from our time as young division officers on the ship and you're kind of thrown into this crucible of leadership where you have to, you either sink or swim. And I think you learn a lot about yourself from a leadership perspective. You learn a lot about teamwork. You learn a lot about what it means for mission accomplishment. And you and I had great experiences in our first commands. Um, I was a little bit different than you. I stayed on the same command actually for three and a half years. And I, I have nothing but favorable things to say about it. Ultimately, were there long hours and and uh, shitty <laughs> experiences and 24 hour watches? A hundred percent. But the net net, us sharing those stories with those young, impressionable 18, 19 year old kids that were going up there to Memorial Hall and choosing, you know, ultimately not just the next two, two and a half years of their lives, but their true career path and trajectory that they go on. And I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Yeah, I agree with you. And 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 this is why I really love ship selection night is that name me another place out there where you are kind of road mapping your career for the next two to three to four years. You know, like a lot of guys will graduate from, I don't know, Temple or or whatever school out there and work for HP or work for General Dynamics or work for some company, they can't really plot out where their life is going to go, where they're going to be living. Now, there's uncertainty in the Navy as well. But what I thought was really neat about ship selection night is that we started injecting information into the process. Like, here's the deployment cycle. Here's why you want to be on board during Comp2X and FleetX and JTFX. Here's why you want to get your pin that early. Here's why you want to do an amphib out of San Diego. And 
you know, well before Chris Cervello and I started getting tortured by Admiral Sestak in the Pentagon, you and I were able to torture him at that first ship selection night when we kind of took the reins from senior swos on the yard and tried to make ship selection night fun again. And lo and behold, the very first dude walking up to pick a ship that night is like, yeah, yeah, how you doing, Admiral? What's going on? And Sestak's like, yeah, brand new DDGs right out of Norfolk. And that kid walked right up and took an amphib out of San Diego, which you and I thought was like the greatest thing ever. Sestak was ready to kill us. But still, I, I think that injecting information into these choices and knowing that that this ship will play a very large role in what the rest of your naval career will be like, and you're getting that immediate training, you're not sitting down in primary for three years, you're not waiting for you know, to, to get through nuke school up at Saratoga or down in Charleston, you're like in the throes. And if we're talking about this as a leadership laboratory, how best to go out and, and practice your craft than on a ship right away? Yeah, 100% Schofield in, you know, knowledge is power. And I think that was one of the things lacking as we told our stories of our experiences and our commands, you know, uh, we shared a lot of that knowledge. And to your point, you kind of are in control of your own destiny by and large. You get to the ship, Maybe you have a division of 10, maybe it's 25, maybe it's 30, depending upon that first tour and your first job. And ultimately, you have responsibilities to stand watch, to drive the ship, uh, which in hindsight were fun times. But you also have that responsibility to take it upon yourself to get your surface warfare officer pin. And that's on you. And I think it's really exciting to your point. You know, once you're empowered to stand the watch, whether it's the conning officer or maybe even you get the officer of the deck quals and ensign, right? You know, then you kind of, you paint that picture yourself on what you do next. And I will tell you, getting your pin early and being the special evolutions conning officer and, you know, getting that experience to you, you were talking about all those different exercises. The one I would avoid is inserve. I had to go through that. That's not a good one. Uh, but No, not fun. <laughs> no, but all those experiences, there's a ton of responsibility immediately. And then not to... Not to bash any of the other service selections, that's not the point here, but it's different, right? You know, if you're an aviator, to your point, you're sitting around waiting to go to flight school, and ultimately you're, you are responsible for your training and that plane that you get up in and train in. And, you know, the same thing applies when you go Navy SEALs or everything else. Like every every specialty area has its responsibility, but so you're just you're immediately thrown into that crucible of leadership, as I said earlier, and it's a sink or swim, and it is it is awesome. Well, that crucible of leadership uh, hubs has second and third order effects down the line. And, and you and I talked when I was the PAO there about, you know, my effort to highlight the fact that, quote unquote, you don't have to be an admiral to go out there and be successful and live the mission of the U.S. Naval Academy. And we talk more and more about this place being a very special leadership laboratory and what you learned in your four years on the banks of the Severn and then on USS Tortuga and then in seamanship and navigation as you applied your craft and your leadership, you changed the lives of so many midshipmen as they made educated picks for their ships and got excited about the surface warfare community. After that, you got out. And, and I'll tell you what, Hubs, a lot of people don't know, you have turned your naval experience into corporate leadership excellence at a billion-dollar company in a billion-dollar industry, catch the listeners up with where you are now and, and the success that you're enjoying. And it's not just selling Botox, ladies and gentlemen. It goes a lot deeper than that. 
Yeah, well, thank you for that, John. And, and I will give a lot of credit to my experience in the military and specifically surface warfare, just laying that foundation of leadership. You know, you coined the, the phrase, I believe, you know, Naval Academy and by, I believe the military creates leaders of character and consequence, right? And that is something I took with me as I departed the Navy and made the very natural transition from working with you know, Marines and divers and SEALs as a, as a service warfare officer on an amphib and teaching celestial navigation, I transitioned to selling beauty products in the corporate world at Allergan in 2003. And it was not long until I was promoted into a management role. And then ultimately, you know, now I'm the VP of sales for the facial aesthetics division. It's about $2 billion and it has roughly 450 people in it. And it's all about the people. The people, I think, is the key part. And that's one of the things that surface warfare gets you exposure to is people leadership and not just first level leadership, peer leadership and understanding how to influence your boss so you don't get a PSM BHC. Those are the things that are, are really invaluable when you think about you know, surface warfare. And it did set me up for excess. And ultimately, as I reflect back on my 20 years in corporate America and the seven and a half previously in the Navy, uh, the leaders in which I surrounded myself with have afforded me the opportunity and successes I'm, I'm here. Paul McElroy comes to mind. You know, he was my executive officer on the Tortuga for a period of time and really allowed me, you know, the opportunity to fail, which is critical, right? Empowered me with decision-making and a bad decision is always better than no decision. So you learn all these things in surface warfare very quickly. And that has set me up, that foundation truthfully has set me up for the success that I share today. Hubs, you're obviously doing amazing work out there. One of our main sponsors here at the podcast is one of your um, you know, one of your offices that that AbbVie services uh, with ProMD Health here in Annapolis. Shout out to our good friend Scott Melamed. As I let you go, Hubert, you know, not only have you been successful in the corporate world, but you've been amazingly successful as a parent and as a husband. And you and your Naval Academy graduate spouse, Amy Salness, shout out to the most athletic family I've ever met. Um, you also have three boys, one of which is a plebe at the Air Force Academy and on the football team. The next one, Mr. Football in the state of Georgia, I like to call him, is presumptively on his way to the Air Force Academy. As we go out, how special is it for you as a parent to send your kids to a service academy? And, and in the end, let's be real here, why aren't those kids at Navy? That's a great question. Maybe that's another podcast I can come on and we can, we can talk about that in depth. I think the, the net net is you you take what you learn in leadership and you you do apply it to raising your kids. And I will tell you, raising children, as you very well know, is the single most challenging le leadership experience one will ever have. And I feel blessed. I have a great partner in crime who brings the athletic genes to the to the family. I'm grateful for that. Uh, and the boys have grown up in an environment where they're surrounded by, you know, military. You know, it was never forced upon them. Obviously, if it was, they'd be going to Navy and not Air Force. Uh, but the net-net is something, as I think about my kids, the boys, as I think about those that I try to impact and influence, there's three critical things that I learned early on in my career in the Navy, in surface warfare, and that's to always wear a leadership hat 
And that hat stands for humility, accountability, and trust. And those are three things that surface warfare will definitely teach you. And I'm super excited for those graduating this year and they should all go swell. Hubert, thank you so much for joining the podcast as we lead up to ship selection night on February 2nd. I know that you wish you could be there in spirit and in body. I'll do it for us. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and, and good luck to you going forward. And until the next army Navy game and the, uh, and the epic Irish car bombs, we wish you the best. Love you, brother. Go Navy beat army. Go Navy beat army. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Huber, class of 96 here to talk about ship selection night. We're going to go to break when we come back. Wags, Chris and I will bring this baby out. This is Sing second sports. All right. One more set of announcements from our friends at NAAA. Fans, there's still time to purchase your tickets to the Army-Navy basketball doubleheader on Saturday, February 11th. But hurry, tickets are going fast. Fans in attendance will receive a free Beat Army rally towel and the world-famous Firecrackers jump rope team will be performing at halftime. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And as a special offering for the fans of the Sing Second Sports podcast, NAAA is offering a special discounted ticket for all of our listeners. Just log on to NavySports.com, click the Tickets tab, and enter the special promo code SINGSECOND when ordering your tickets, and it'll just be $10. That's NavySports.com, click on the Tickets tab, and use the SINGSECOND promo code. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Um, great conversation with Pip Simons. Uh, again, encourage you to come on out to the yard uh, this weekend to watch gymnastics take on William and Mary. And there are a bunch of other stuff. And there are a bunch of other great events taking place on the yard this weekend as well. Um, let's talk about what happened last night. Men's basketball. You want to talk about turning frowns upside down. You're one in five in the conference. You're struggling. You've got people like us criticizing the momentum of the team. And then you just go out and you win three straight, including last night's dismantling of Bucknell up in Lewisburg. Wags, this is exactly what we talked about is taking this part of the schedule and, and really, you know, applying that defensive effort that Ed DeCellis likes and the consistency from the field. I know that Chris Cervello and I were talking about it. Sean Yoder going seven of eight from the floor last night, three from three for three from three point range. Tyler Nelson had a tough night shooting at four for 11, but between him and Deaver and Yoder, I just thought it was a great performance against the Bucknell team that they really, really needed to beat. John, I think back to uh, after the five game losing streak and the next game was at home against Boston University and, and Navy, you know, put together a great defensive effort, held Boston to 45 points and won 63-45. And I, Coach Ed Jutellis said, hey, we went through a bad stretch. We lost five in a row. Hey, we can turn around and win five in a row. And here, he, they, he may be onto something. Three in a row. And the defense here, I mentioned 45 points to Boston. 46 points Bucknell was held to. Like 24% field goal shooting. That is incredible defensive effort. And you don't have to do anything spectacular on the offensive end to win when you're holding teams to a number like that. So. Uh, up next, American at home at Alumni Hall, Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. Be great to get a lot of people out to that and really support the team. But uh, let's hope, John, 
that they're on a roll. I pulled up the Patriot League standings here, and it uh, Navy has gone from they were at one point second to last in the conference, and now they've moved up more to the midway mark, four and five in the league, and uh, pushing for perhaps a, uh, a a home seed. So that's what you want. You got to. It's not too early to start talking about seeding for the Patriot League tournament, John. Well, and and. Again, I, I know I love talking about future events. I'm a planner. I'm an ops guy. But I, I, I have to look at the calendar and say, American, just right there with you in the standings that you welcome to Alumni Hall. Then at Lafayette on February 1st. Then at Holy Cross before Bucknell comes back here to Alumni Hall on February 8th. So you look at these next three games as against teams that are either with you in the standings or just above you in the standings before you bring Bucknell back, who is at the very bottom and a team that you can definitely dominate here. You've got a four game stretch. That's utterly critical before army on February 11th. So, you know, for, for me, this is really the crucible of the season and we'll bring back Mike Erie to talk about the importance of these games and then how they do in these games. But is it safe to say now, Wags, that every game is kind of is kind of the most important game for this team? When you have a five-game losing streak in the middle of the season, that's the position you put yourself in. Yeah, well, you nailed it, John, and you just called it exactly. There's a series of games here with teams that you're fighting for league position with, and so it's time to make a statement. And I can tell you, you can't lose at home. So, I mean, that's great to go. Uh, they just stole two road victories at Army at Bucknell. Uh, so you can't come back and lose it to American. So w- without question, you you nailed it on the head with these upcoming games against teams that are right there with you in the standings. And you got to pay back Loyola. I mean, Loyola has been struggling. They're at the bottom of the conference standings. That was a tough loss. Navy led that game the whole way and let it slip away. Uh, they, Navy's got to pound Loyola on February 18th at Alumni Hall. Agreed, Wags. Agreed. Also last night, women's basketball, after the big win on Jade Geist Day, uh, they have now fallen back into, into a losing streak, uh, dropping one last night to the same Bucknell team uh, here in Annapolis. But we know that Tim Taylor has got them definitely moving in the right direction, and we're going to talk to Ashley Pelzik next week about her evaluation of the team and her mentoring of Marin Loritas, uh, the very influential and talented plebe on that team. What else is going on this weekend? Uh, if you're coming to the yard or coming to Annapolis on Friday, you can go into Lejeune and watch women swim and dive against Richmond. That starts at 4 p.m. on Friday and continues through the weekend. If you want to watch the grapplers, uh, the fighting Carrie Colats take on Hofstra at Dahlgren Hall at 1 p.m. That is cool, ladies and gentlemen. They're going to set up the whole wrestling situation in Dahlgren, take on Hofstra at 1 you want to talk about a cool photo? Come to the yard and watch them wrestle in Dahlgren. That's a kick-ass photo, ladies and gentlemen. As we talked about with Kip, gymnastics gets William & Mary at 2 p.m. in Halsey. And then men's basketball against American at 2 p.m. Um, there in Alumni Hall. Let's see what happens. We also have tennis, squash, lacrosse scrimmages. Um, a bunch of other stuff happening all over the yard this weekend. So come on out if you're around and support the Navy midshipmen. Wags, any last points from you before we take this baby out ski? Well, you mentioned wrestling, and uh, I should, we should also point out it's senior day for Navy wrestling. So get out there and support the seniors. Uh, they had a tough 
lost to Lehigh, which is nationally ranked. Uh, the Capitol covered that match, and there were some high moments for Navy, some good results, but uh, uh, you know, tough loss to a very good Lehigh team. So hopefully Navy wrestling can finish strong as they head into the EIWA tournament, which is ultimately the, the key element of getting guys advanced to the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. And Chris, before I give it over to you for your observations or what you're looking forward to, let me just say that I know that this is a uh, audio medium, but I'm dressed to the nines today on my way to the state house where Westmore is expected. The new governor of Maryland, Westmore, is expected to make an announcement about military retiree pay in Maryland. Hopefully that means that if you're a retiree from the military living in Maryland, that you will get your pay tax free. Shout out and hats off to Westmore. Chris, over to you before we take this baby out. I know you're a huge Westmore fan. Um, yeah, really looking forward to this. <laughs> Go ahead. I am not a Westmore fan. I'm 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 not not a fan, but uh, I I have yet to uh, to put my campaign button on uh, le- like you have. Um, I'm looking forward to you know watching Navy basketball on Saturday afternoon um, on the ESPN app. Um, I, you know, really enjoy watching these games. I want to see this team continue to get better. Um, I, I thought it was a gutsy win against army last weekend. I was really happy to see, I caught the tail end of the game, uh, last night. I was really happy to see them, uh, win in addition to sort of must win. I I think it's, you know, must win and must continue to play full games, right? We, we can't have them, you know, not show up in the first half or not show up in the second half and then rally in the last couple minutes. I want to see this team peak as it heads towards the Patriot League tournament. And hopefully my goal for this pod is always to beat Army on the football side. And then I want to take this pod to the NCAA tournament. So I want to see them get ready, win that Patriot League tournament, uh, and then head to the NCAA. So it's another sort of check mark on the road here. That's what I'm watching this weekend. Sing Second Sports loves road trips. And that's a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be bringing you a live pod from San Diego uh, in mid-February, right around 15 February. So if you are a fan of this podcast and live in San Diego, drop us a note, DM us on social media, and we'll let you know. But right now, tentative plans involve us at the Shore Club in San Diego getting after it uh, for a live pod on Sing Second Sports with local San Diego grads. For Bill Wagner and Chris Cervello, I am John Schofield. Many thanks to Rob Hubert and Kip Simons today. Many thanks to NAAA for their continued support. And many thanks to our sponsors. Hats off to you guys. New Lacrosse Building will continue to give you updates throughout. Until then, I am John Schofield. This is Sing Second Sports. We're gone. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show, and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.